0: This is episode 15, The Journey to the Sacred Feminine with Bonnie Lewis. Welcome to Sophia on Earth. I'm your host, Sophia. I'm a coach, entrepreneur, and yoga teacher, and I help women lead from their feminine in their relationships and in business. On this podcast, we talk about what it means to be human and how each of us gives the human experience meaning and makes it work for them. Connect with me at sophiaonearth.com or via Instagram at sofianearth, and let me know how you are making the human experience work for you. (laughs) Today's guest is Bonnie Lewis. Bonnie is a gifted author, speaker, and theologian, and the author of Tim the first ever idiomatic Bible translation that was recently funded on Kickstarter. In this episode, Bonnie and I talk about Something to Say, a workshop we attended together in 2019. We talk about the journey to the sacred feminine. We talk about the male-dominated world that we're living in, We talk about the American dream. So let's get into it. Hi, Bonnie.
1: Hello. It's so good to see you. It's so
0: good to see you too. Although it's only the two of us who can really see each other.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I know. (laughs) Oh man. But it's so good to hear you too. Yes. I I love, I forgot how soothing and calming your voice is. Mm. I feel like I want you to, you know what I need to have you do sometime is like pay you to record yourself reading a book out loud and then i could listen to the book on tape and in your voice
0: <laughs> okay yeah i'll i'll do it i'll do it for awesome. sure
1: <laughs> awesome so
0: i'm so grateful to have you on my podcast today and i want to start by telling people a little bit about how we met and, you know, what brought us together, how the universe brought us together, I guess. Yes, absolutely. So I think it was in 2019, we both Mm -hmm. attended a workshop with Rob Bell, Mm -hmm. the author, former pastor, um, that was called Something to Say, right? Yep. yep, It was really, really cool setting at the Improv in West Hollywood. And... I-, I couldn't even describe really what the workshop was about other than something to say, <laughs> but it was really, yeah. really cool. And you shared a little bit about your story and what you've been working on in terms of something to say. So why don't we kick it off there?
1: Yeah. Gosh. Okay. It's, first of all, 2019 feels like a decade ago mm-hmm. until you think, I mean, it, I feel like obviously the world has been through so much change since then. Um, but I feel like even personally, I'd I'd be interested to hear what COVID was like for you in terms of lockdown and quarantine. Um, for me, I, where, where I was at, at the something to say, and then where I am now feels like two totally different people in some, in Mm -hmm. some regards. And, and sometimes like now just like a deeper or like evolved version of who I was in 2019. But, um, that time to be sort of quarantined and to be, um, shut down and to not have space and not even have capacity, I think on many levels to create and dream was an interesting thing for me. So I really thrive off of creativity. I love it. I Mm -hmm. feel like I'm always saying to my husband, like if I'm not doing something creative, I feel like I might shrivel up. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, and I, I'm good at um uh, being able to do it for fun. I just I don't have um I like to try new things. Like I took a pottery class, I was absolutely horrible at it. You would laugh <laughs> so hard because I just wanted to try it. And I was mm-hmm. so terrible. And I did make these little dishes like for the kids basically, because I have two children. Um, but at the end of the class, there was the end of it, and you had to like shape your pots. Well, because my pots are so small, it took me like 10 minutes and I was done. <laughs> and then um I said, you know, I'm done. And there's an hour and a half left. And then the next class, there was going to be even more time. And I said to the instructor, I'm finished. Um, what like what do you suggest I do um in the meantime? And he said, You know, you could buy another slab of clay, which it was this huge slab, it was like mm-hmm. very big. And so I knew, like, okay, if I buy that, I have to, you know, go to more classes to use it. And yeah. I, I said to him, I go, so here's the thing. I have loved this and I've enjoyed it, but I'm never gonna do it again. <laughs> 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 he, goes, he was so kind. He's like, Hell yeah. Okay. Okay. No problem. No. Problem. <laughs> <He was> so <laughs> nice. So I, I like doing creative things just for the sake of learning and doing them and trying them out. And so I think that brought me into the space of something to say. Right. So mm-hmm. I grew up kind of um evangelical Christian. And then I went to undergrad and I studied world religions. And then I actually got my master's degree um, from a seminary. And that sort of propelled me into a pastoral role. So mm-hmm. I used to also be a pastor. Um, and the problem with that was that I was a woman. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I didn't see a problem with it. Um, but most everybody did. Um, the, at the time I lived in orange County, California, and the climate there was very mega church, very evangelical, very kind of pop culture meets these like conservative values. And so I was not accepted, um, as a woman to be preaching or teaching. And that was a, like the first of many, obviously turning points for me in terms of, do I listen to myself and know who I am? Or do I listen to all these rules that all these men have put on me? Right. Mm -hmm. And I probably wouldn't have said that that was going on internally at the time. I probably couldn't have voiced that, but I remember feeling if I do what they say and I don't preach or I, um, you know, follow these, like sort of all these hoops you have to jump through, I will be betraying myself. And I don't know if I can live with that. Right. So that was kind of a juncture for me. Um, And so going fast forwarding a few years, I sort of lived in that space for a very long time. Um, During that time, I got pregnant and we had um, our first son who's now 11. And then I also then got pregnant with our second child. And I ended up actually delivering that baby as a stillbirth. Um, There was an issue with the cord and it wrapped around his neck. And so I delivered him prematurely as, um, as a stillborn baby. And what, that's obviously wrecks you on every level imaginable. Um, no. But in terms of spirituality and in terms of intuition, even it was a huge about face um, leading up to finding out that the, he had passed in the womb. There was all of these little things that I knew instinctually something's wrong,
0: right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I knew my
1: body and I just knew something's not right. Um, everybody that i voiced concerns to was very much like, oh, you're just worrying. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. oh, you're just being emotional. It's the hormone, you know, whatever, whatever thing that people, and I think in good nature, people are trying to sort of calm you down, but I felt very dismissed. Right. Mm -hmm. So every step of the way, like I had said to the doctor, when I checked myself to the hospital, I had said, I think he's only been past three or four days. Like i I just know. Right. Um, And then there was another thing where I said, um, you know, I, I don't think it's, this. it was like, she kept asking me questions and I kept saying, and then she would come back and say, that just can't be true. Medically. That's not right. That's not real. That's Mm -hmm. not right. So she was just sort of gaslit me (laughs) the whole process. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was very painful because I just had to kind of ride this wave and we were in the hospital for um, like 48 hours. And I just had to kind of do my best to listen to what she is saying but also make my own choices uh right before we checked out of the hospital she actually came back i didn't think i would see she had said you know there's no need for me to come back you probably won't see me again she came back and came to our room and she said i i want to thank you and apologize to you Mm. and i thought like what (laughs) for what (laughs) and she said um I broke my cardinal rule. I've been doing this for 35 years and I broke my cardinal rule. And my cardinal rule is that a mom always knows best and -hmm. that women know their bodies better than what the data tells us. And she said, every single step of the way you told me what you were feeling. And I overrode you with medical information and every single step of the way you were right. And she said, so you have, and we all do, she said, but you have this intuition that I tried to shut down out of me, just trying to go through the motions. And I want you to remember that your intuition is always right. Growing up in evangelical church, that was the first time anybody had said, you can trust yourself, right? I mean, there's all these narratives about, yeah, about how untrustworthy you are and how awful you are. And so that plus feeling like, well, I followed all the rules the men told me to do. (laughs) And the book said, and I still had this horrible thing happen to me. So it became this about face in which I was like, that's it. I'm throwing it all up and we'll see what comes down. (laughs) Right. It was just Mm -hmm. very much this upheaval. Um, and so I really started this really long process of like, I guess what you could call deconstruction, but it was really Mm -hmm. just thinking and basically going, I'm no longer following these rules. (laughs) I'm just going to do what I think feels right. And then we'll see where it lands. Cause I I had no really other choice, right? I had done everything for a long time. So out of that, um, I realized that I had no idea what to do with the Bible and for someone who grew up in the church, that was a big thing. So, Mm -hmm. um, I decided, I'm going to take all my background, my 10 years of preaching and teaching and pastoring and my schooling. And I'm going to take like the 10 most confusing stories of the Bible. And I'm going to retranslate them because um, all of our translations are written by men. And so if you've noticed, they all hold up sort of the patriarchal structure that was in place and father rule and all of that. And so I'm like, what if a woman did, right? What if she translated it? And what if that woman was me and what would I come up with that? might be different, right? Cause I'm sitting from a different seat in the room. So mm-hmm. I brought, uh, when we went to something to say, I had already written the whole thing. We actually had raised money on Kickstarter for it. So we did like a whole Kickstarter thing. Um, and so that was really neat. And we had passed our goal. So I had already raised the money. I'd already written it and I just had to edit it. So I brought it to something to say, cause I'm like, okay, I want a new perspective before I go in and edit it. Mm. And, um, it was a, such a moving experience for me because, I saw all these things in which I realized even in writing it, right. Even in saying what I believed and even how far I'd come, I had really written it to the critics and Mm -hmm. something that something to say taught me was that's not going to get you anywhere. That's Mm -hmm. just a different form of betraying yourself. Mm -hmm. So I got to go leave there and come back and do which made the editing obviously a lot longer and harder, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um, edit it and go, where was I not true to myself and where did I, um, again, just sort of, um, ping pong this to other people and go back over that. And so I was able then to, once it was done, publish it in a way that felt really true to who I was then. And that, Mm -hmm. and that feels really good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. First of all, thank you for sharing all of that. And, um, also like the tough parts of your story that must've been, you know, like I can only imagine, um, Mm -hmm. what you've been going through at the time that you were calling like this about phase, right? Like figuring out what's next. And, um, and I know that a lot of years have passed, right. And it's probably easier to talk about it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, and yet still that is like such a powerful moment also when we get to kind of reassess, um, and, and, and then shift some of the things uh, that haven't been walking and how we've set our life up prior. So, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I, I, I already right. knew, but mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. I just wanted to say it, it is easier to talk about now. A cause time has passed. Yeah. B, I have done a ton of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> so that's helpful. Um, but also there was a moment and I think you were actually there, but I don't know if you witnessed it. We were at lunch together. Like, remember how we'd do all those lunches? Yeah, I remember. And I remember I got, I was starving. I don't know about you, but I was like listening to everybody, but I didn't want to eat. Right. And so by the time lunch rolled around, I was so hungry and I ordered a kale salad and it was this weird dome of just straight kale. Like there was (laughs) nothing else. And I was so sad. I was like, that is not what I thought. And I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of begrudgingly eating the salad and Matt, do you remember Matt? I remember him. Yeah. Okay. So Matt was in front of me. And Matt was visually impaired or is visually impaired. And so at the time he had said to me, I heard, I'm recognizing your voice. Are you the one that came up and shared about your Bible translation? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh yes, that was me. And he said something right then that was another one of those moments. And it be, it was so healing and it became the catalyst that makes it easier to talk about. And he said, um, he said, when you were talking, I had this overwhelming feeling that your baby is living on through your translation, that the energy of your baby is now into your book. And it was this moment. I mean, he owed me nothing. He's just (laughs) this guy that was like, Hey, I had this thought. I just broke down in tears. And I remember feeling like, Oh, he can live on again. We don't have to lose people in the way we think we do,
0: yeah.
1: And from then on, um, that has become a real anchor for me in terms of how we look at life and how energy moves and changes and shifts and rebirths. And um, it was really, really profound.
0: Wow, yeah, wow, like I, I, yeah, no words, like it's so incredible how these like you didn't go to like this workshop, right? Thinking that this was what, what you were going to get out of it. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, on the surface, it's maybe like a creative expression kind of workshop. So it's just like so incredible how these lessons and, and moments of healing are planted into our lives. Yeah. Wow. Um, and maybe um, I'll give a little bit of context on... So, so people can imagine how this, this was set up, right. People could kind of yeah. come with an idea that they had, and then they would get into the hot seat and in front of the 50 people that were in the room, share about something that they've been walking on something that they wanted to share with the world. And then Rob would kind of ask questions and, and yeah. get you to a place, um, that would help you to move on with your idea. So yeah, it was really profound in that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I didn't expect uh, first of all, I don't think I would have come. I literally pictured like we're all sitting there working on our projects and Rob like looks over your shoulder. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if I would have done it. I mean, I've been a Rob fan forever. So I um when he was like not even he was on borderline, he was still a pastor. Yeah, so it was like borderline controversial days. Um I was at like really involved. I was at a non-denominational school, but like it was a secular school, but I was very much involved in like the campus ministry and like all this stuff. And I loved Rob's sermons, but everybody thought Rob was like, you know, a heretic and whatever. And so I would put his sermons on my iPod and then I would do like uh long walks around the, our old town that our college was in. And then my, I was the only one in my house with an iPod, and so people would always say, "Can I borrow your iPod?" And it was always the scramble because I'd have to uh, like make sure to erase the sermons off. <laughs> I was afraid. <laughs> so when we got there, and he's like, "And then you and I will sit like twelve inches apart." I was like, "Uh, I don't know if I would have come." <laughs> I yeah, know, but it was very profound because everybody else got to say a different angle right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I see this and I see that. And I thought that was, and we all became invested in each other's ideas, yeah. Yeah. which was really, which was really neat. Yeah. yeah. And to
0: get not only Rob's feedback mm-hmm. and reaction, but everyone's, yes. I think that was and really profound for me as well.
1: Me too. And I find myself, I don't know about you. I find myself thinking about people I'm like, I wonder if they did that. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> I wonder if they, right. Uh, because I want them to I'm like the world needs that idea that you had, which yeah. is really, which is really cool. Yeah. yeah. And it was, you know what, the other thing about it, sorry, I'm going to say this, I forgot is that it was interesting that, you know, you had your idea. And then I remember there was like an idea about soil and someone else had an improv idea and it was interesting that I remember thinking like, this is a waste of time to hear everybody's idea. I came here to learn more about my own craft. But it was fascinating how in everybody's story and idea, you saw part of your own story and idea. Mm. Oh, yes, I'm going to implement that. Or that's what that means. Or, oh, that good idea. Right. And I found that to that was something I definitely didn't expect, which was really neat. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess it's good that what actually is happening isn't really part of the advertisement of the, yeah. of the yeah. workshop because it, um yeah, I definitely also wasn't expecting. Well, I, w- I don't think I had any idea what it was about. Like I was saying in the beginning, I don't know that I could describe it for, to you, right? It's like
1: right. Rob Bell is there. So it's it must like be Rob, fun. the best description is like Rob Bell, people, and magic. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah but those so are good. the best
0: things where you're like, I can't mm-hmm. really even describe what this is, but I know You'll I have to You'll just thank me if you go. Yeah. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what happened, um, once you edited the book and then published it?
1: Yeah. So, um, that was the other thing I, um, I decided to self-publish it. So mm-hmm. what's funny about that is that, I have always had this like weird feeling of you have to have an agent and you have to publish, And then I just realized like, those things are good, but you don't have to have them. And Mm -hmm. they're not always the best anyway. And I think I learned that at the Rob thing too. So I was super happy to self-publish it. So we self-published it. And then the first people that got it were all the people that paid for Kickstarter Mm -hmm. that backs the Kickstarter project. And then after that, I kind of was like, well, I'll just put it on Instagram. I mean, I'm, it's, I don't have a marketing team. I knew I didn't want to spend my time doing that. Right. So it was just Mm -hmm. like, it felt really good to go. I just basically bought a bunch of books and kept them and then said like, when people buy them, I'll ship them. Mm -hmm. And it was really neat because it was very nice to let it live on and live its own life in the world without having a bunch of pressure on it. Right. So it was just kind of like, whatever happens happens. And um, so we published it and then it was this total grassroots like thing. And I think in the first year we sold like over 3000 copies. Wow. And for somebody that has no idea what they're doing and it like doesn't <laughs> market it, I was like, wow. Every time it happened, I was like, wow, someone bought one, you know, and like just yesterday we got a, a bulk order and I was like, wow. And so it was this really cool process of realizing like you make something and you think it's gonna be one thing but you actually have no control over the life it's going to live after that. Right. Mm -hmm. It was this, I was like, Oh my gosh, look, it's doing this now. And now it's doing this. And it was so funny yesterday. My husband was looking something at the website. We're going to move it to Amazon because then I just don't have to ship them anymore. Um, so he was looking at some of the website and he's like, did you know that you were featured in the Austin Chronicle? (laughs) And (laughs) I was like, Oh, I had interviewed last summer for them. And then I forgot about it. Like, that's just kind of my (laughs) speed. Like, Oh, I don't know. We'll see. And then I totally forgot. And so I was looking at I'm like, oh, I think I did. And it was this article published about it last year. And I was like, that is so funny that really and truly these projects and things that we create, they have their own timeline. They have their own way of living. They have their own people. They reach people read into it, whatever they need to. And so it was this huge lesson to me in terms of creativity, but also parenting of there's only so much we can do. And then after that, our job is actually to let it go. Right. That's where the magic takes place because it gets to go on and live. So people will write me and go, I love in your book when you said this and you drew the connection here. And I'm like, I don't think I said that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's what they got out of it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so I'm like, okay, great. And so it's just, it's so fun to go, Oh, I wonder what she'll do next. Like not me, the book, mm-hmm. right? Like where she'll be and whose table or whatever. And it's, um, and so that's made writing and creating so much more fun mm-hmm. because if I don't have any control of what happens next. And it's almost like what happens next is part of the own, of the book's personality and they're all going to be different. Right. And they're all going to take on different energies and different paths, just like my children will. Then I just get to stand by and like cheer them on, (laughs) right? Like whatever path they decide to take.
0: Yeah. I love that. I feel like that's the healthiest relationship you can have to the things you're creating.
1: Yes. Yes. And I'm grateful. I feel like I was set free. I think. And I would actually love to hear what it feels like in terms of your culture, where you are here in America. We have, there's such a emphasis on the American dream mm. and that in order, and, and also patriarchal culture, the, in order for something to be successful, it has to be big, right? And in mm. order for something, for you to be proud of your work, you are famous. It's like this very weird cultural aspect of it where it's, um, and I'm writing a new book right now on, um, it's a, uh, um, historical fiction and it takes place during the revolutionary war era. And I'm thinking about the roots there about how we were really born out of sort of taking over and patriarchy and violence. And that's in our bones now. And mm-hmm. so I feel that when I'm creating and. For a very long time, that was the rub, right? It was like, is it worth doing if only two people buy it? Yeah. Right. And and to be honest, sometimes you have people that are successful say, of course it is. It's for you. And I always used to think like, well, you're just saying that because you're (laughs) successful. So it's easy for you to say that. Um, But now after having done some classes, some books, some things, I'm like, oh no, it is always worth it. Like that is because Mm -hmm. that defines me, but it took a lot of work and even therapy and study and just like continually turning of things to undo that deeply American ideal of, it has to be big and scalable and famous and huge and best-selling for it to even matter, right? Mm -hmm. So I would actually be really curious if you had that same experience, if that is part of your cultural experience or not, or to, to what degree it's different.
0: Yeah, this is a very interesting question and also something that I think about a lot, like in terms of the American dream. Um, Mm -hmm. My guess would be that, like, it has to be big to be successful, that that is like more of a capitalist thing. So Mm -hmm. so that like I would say it's similar here, um, Mm -hmm. like in Europe, so I wouldn't see a difference there necessarily, yeah. but in terms of the American dream and this idea, Ooh, I have like a vision for my life, or there's like something big that I want yeah. to achieve that in itself is not mm-hmm. very European, I would say.
1: Oh, interesting. so, interesting. Yeah.
0: you know, like, um, if you think in terms of like a business or something, of course you want to scale the business, you know, like, I think that yeah, will be you the same want to leader. live.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: Of course, you want it to be big. Of course, you, you know, you know, you want to get the 10 million from the VC fund mm-hmm. and not just yeah, the five, yeah. you know, like so. Yeah, that is like all the same. Um, but what I'm noticing, and that's like one thing that I actually love about America, although I know that it also has downsides, is this energy that is connected to the American dream, which is I believe that there could be something
1: Ah, great or something
0: bigger that I'm thriving for, as opposed to, you know, life is just um, going to work and going home and then watching some TV. And then maybe if you have some money, you travel once in a while, Uh, but like not really thriving for anything big and big doesn't mean a lot of money or success or millions of people um, read the book or whatever big can mean, You know, just setting up your life in a way that works for you and starting a Kickstarter campaign and not playing it safe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is like an element of aspiration in the American dream that is that allows you to take risks. Yeah. That you maybe wouldn't take if you'd be like, you know, like there, there is nothing big to Mm -hmm. achieve or, or anything of that nature. So then you, you just playing small is just, um, what you're about, right? So yeah, that is I I do
1: notice that difference. Oh, that's fascinating. I actually love that you said. Like, I really like that, right? Like, mm. to I, I think sometimes for me, I think like it's too much. It's too mm-hmm. much pressure. It's always there. Yeah. So I, you know, right? But to be able if the balance is right. So I, th- I think where we get probably run into the most troubles, what you articulated so beautifully is like this concept of like when the American dream plus capitalism, <laughs> plus the patriarchy sort of all folds into a bad spot. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the struggle is. Yeah. But if I can unwind those and look at them each separately and find a balance of, yeah. Um, I want to be really content in today and also What is my highest and best? Yeah, right. So it's um sort of balancing that out. But that's really neat. I'd love to hear your perspective on that. That's really yeah and
0: yeah and like your your highest doesn't mean highest in likes of views or readers or whatever, right? Right. The highest expression of you, right? So like to detach that for sure, yeah. Um, but to to still aspire for something bigger, you know. Yeah, And I would even say, um, with something like a workshop, like something to say where people come with like the most random things that they're walking on really. Right. Like I never thought about soil before. I, I guess I know about soil, but like, you know, right. like, there were so many like different things that people were walking on that all matter. Um, I have found once I returned to Europe in 2020, that people will ask me like what's your plan so which kind of like full-time job are you going to apply for and not so much when I would share like oh I'm working on this project it would like I wouldn't get excitement I would get oh. fear and like yeah d- like yeah people would be like yeah. oh my god like how are you gonna make this happen like how are you gonna pay for it like so a lot of kind of worry mm. around creating something um yeah and um yeah. And, you know, that's just like another layer of this. Yeah. And like in the U.S., you tell somebody, oh, like I have this project that I'm working on. People are generally
1: excited. Yes. Lots of entrepreneurs here. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm.
0: it's not like, oh, my God, like, how are you going to make it work? And like, is this reasonable? And it's like, is this realistic? So that's like to me. And obviously, I'm completely generalizing. But to me, that's like more of the European mindset. Fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I think it too depends on everybody's intersections with taking risk and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So like my, my family, my parents are both teachers Mm -hmm. and they were tired as teachers after like 47 years of teaching. I mean, they were, they were, that's what they did. And um, so when I say things like, I'm going to quit my job and write a Bible translation, they're like, (laughs) wait, what? (laughs) Like, why would you do that? Right. And, and because they, they didn't do that. They didn't mm-hmm. take a risk. They weren't entrepreneurs. My husband's family, um, his mom worked in corporate America still does forever, but his dad, um, has always been an entrepreneur and owned many b- different businesses. So the reaction from them was different. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Cool. Right. And so it's my, it's been a reconditioning too. Uh, my husband being like, well, of course you can do that. Of course you can do that. Right. Cause for so long, I was like, well, no, you can't do it. Right. And so mm-hmm. we all each individually, you have this collective mindset, maybe yeah. American, European or anything else. And then we all come to the table with our own individual yeah. worries, fears, biases, whatever it is that go that kind of make us, I think either keep going or reevaluate and go a different, different path.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, your are kind of like conditioning that you receive from your family and your community and all that on top of that, yeah. for sure. And then you even need a little bit more resilience if you want to mm-hmm. create something in an environment like that. Right. And, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that people are less likely to do it then. I was actually just this weekend, I um, met my godmother um, who lives in France. She She's German, but she lives in France. And for a couple of years, she started like her own business um, around kind of travel and kind of like tour guiding, and it didn't walk out right away. So she paints like this entire picture of like how You know like she didn't succeed and like all the things but also she didn't really try like totally and she didn't stick with it right so it's those are just like some of the things that i'm noticing i'm sure there's other ways too right and then the good part about um living in not all of the european cities but in berlin for example it's actually a great place for entrepreneurs because it's very cheap oh interesting so yeah you don't need a lot of money to like pay for your rent and all that stuff. So that's like one thing that I'm tapping into at the moment. I'm just grateful that I can be in this place right now as I'm starting my own business because the risk like financially is maybe like a little lower. Also, I'm, you know, I'm a German citizen. So obviously easier to be in, in the place, um, that I kind of have the citizenship off, but you know, like that, those are things to consider as well. But, right. but at the end of the day, it's about the bigger, the bigger stuff and, and yeah, how yeah. resilient I, you are with it.
1: I was just going to say, yes. Like, so it's like 90% mental right? Yeah, of <laughs> like, no, I can keep trying. I can do it yeah. again. I can, you know, I think I shared with you before you got on the call, I've been training for my first marathon. Yeah. And, um, that has helped me even in, the running and then the creativity of this is going to turn out either exactly or very close to how I think it will. So if I think that this 20 mile run is going to be extremely hard and I'll probably quit, then oh. I guarantee I will. Yeah. Right. It's like my whole, all ourselves are always listening. Yeah. But if I work on it and I picture myself running across the finish line and I do this and this and this, then I, that will probably be it and maybe better, maybe I'll Mm -hmm. get a good time or whatever it is, but it's like, um, the same thing is true. Right. And yeah. With creativity. So I think I can't remember who it was. I I read an article and the article was like, um, most writers never make enough money to live. Mm -hmm. And I read it and I had this like feeling of relief, like, Oh, okay, good. That kind of takes the pressure off. And I can now Write whatever I want, basically. Mm-hmm. If I'm not going to make <laughs> enough money anyway, then I might as well. <laughs> right. And then I'm writing it and I'm realizing I'm not writing it with the same intention. When so the thing about Tim Shell is that all these people had paid upfront, right? Yeah. We had raised like $80,000 or something. So I was like, I have to deliver <laughs> mm-hmm. like a good product and something like that they want to read right? So there was a bit of, pre- and I had a timeline, which I think I loved, right? Of like, it has to be done by this day. Cause if you don't, I think you had a year. So if you don't get it in their hands in a year, you have to pay them back. Ooh. And I, I used the money to pay the editor and we had a psychologist on the team and a designer. So I'm like, I <laughs> so can't pay them back. I literally have no option, but to do it. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I have to do it. Um, so that intentionality it's like it put a good amount of pressure, right? Yeah. It was like the right chamber. Um, and then with, when I read this thing and I'm starting writing my second book, I realized I didn't feel any of that pressure and that wasn't good. Right. Cause it was like, I'm not writing this to the degree I want. So then I had to switch and go, okay, most writers, maybe they don't, but why not me? Mm-hmm. Why couldn't I make a living off my book? And so what if I wrote, going, I'm going to make a living off my book. Yeah. Right. That changed the game. Then I'm more creative than I'm searching for things. I'm doing things. So it's this total balance of resiliency, of reaching for something higher, but also not putting so much pressure that you squash it. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's this big balance there that it takes a lot of mental work and awareness around what it is we're doing.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I find that when you and you share it, right. You've done therapy. So have I and coaching and, and all the things, uh, when you have a good understanding of yourself and an awareness, like of your patterns and, yeah, and all that, it will just make it so much easier because yeah. you'll notice, like, you know, you will even, even able to notice, Oh, right. Like, There is this pressure. Oh, I'm doing this. Oh, I'm doing that uh, thing
1: again. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and I know how it turns out. So okay, I gotta switch. Yes, exactly, exactly,
0: a hundred percent. So after you had published the book, you also started. I or maybe you had done it before as well. But I I know that you then started teaching a bunch of classes. Um, and I would love to hear more about those, especially one that you were teaching or that you are still teaching mm-hmm. on the sacred feminine. Yeah. Because it's very interesting too. like, I talk about femininity a lot, but to also see it in the context of the Bible.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. So, um, I, I work with this wonderful group of people called the radical wellness, uh, uh collective and they, um, RWC and you can look them up, um, on instagram radical wellness or my me and i'll take you there too um but it's this group of people that start by a friend of mine who's a therapist and her name's elise snipes and she had this idea of you know i'm i'm seeing people as a therapist and then i'm realizing they need something else too right i'm entering in through one door um they need all these other doors so it's a more holistic approach so she put together this team, you know, we interviewed and did the whole thing. And so there's therapists on the team and each one, um, sort of has their own, they can do anything, but they have their own specialty, right? So it might be couples might be trauma, might be anxiety, um, substance abuse, whatever it is. And then she also has on the team, uh, myself and I do like spiritual coaching and creative coaching. Mm-hmm. And then, um, we have someone else on the team who's a somatic therapist. So she does uh, body work. And so someone comes in and they have an intake and they're like, this is what I want to, and then this is what I want to work on. And then our person um, who's in charge of saying, this is what I think you need sort of put together a plan in which the person jumps through all of us. So they might do therapy and then they do spirit stuff or creative stuff. And then they do, um, uh, body work and back again. So we all get to collaborate on this person's care so that we're supporting each other, but so that it's a, whatever outcome they're coming to or whatever aha moment, they arrive there in this very holistic way, mind, body, and spirit. Mm. So it's really fun. It's really beautiful. I, it was an easy transition for me because of my pastoral work. Yeah. But what's great is that now, um, it has evolved as we've gone on i think it works there almost like a little over three years um so i used to have mostly people that were deconstructing the bible or deconstructing christian faith come and now i have clients from every literal type of spiritual expression and faith and i've got some people are like can you help me set up my work calendar to the moon phases can you write or like, can I, I want to deconstruct this or I want to know about Buddhism or teach me meditation. Right. So I, it's been so much fun. So I meet clients one-on-one and then I do groups, Uh, but it's really fun because I've, I've expanded as they've expanded. So my own spirituality has been able to do that. So this year I also got a meditation certification from the Chopra Institute, which has been really fun. Um, And then, yeah, I started teaching these classes. So at the beginning I started probably the first year I was there, I, maybe a few months in, I started teaching this class called, um, the sacred feminine. And it really was, and the whole, the class still does starts out with this idea of just the patriarchy. What is it? It's not necessarily uh, gender, right? Um, we're all sort of caged by it. Um, and then we look at organized religion within that context. And why is it that, especially within Christianity, um, We only hear God as male. And what if we heard God as female? How does that change things? And how does that change who you believe yourself to be? And then from there, I go on, it's a four-week course. And I go on to talk about um, expressions of the divine feminine in other cultures and in other religions, um, in archetypes, right? Um, We do stuff with the labyrinth. um, And we just sort of dive into let's unfold this a little bit so we can build our own expression of the divine within, but also our own intuition, our own voice, and just sort of realize how much we've been influenced by male expressions of power and divinity that we've just accepted because we haven't known anything different. So I started it and then I offer it every couple of months and it's so fun because it's this, it's, we usually cap it at like six people. So it doesn't get too big. Yeah. Um, and it's once a week for two hours, we just do it in the evenings and we just, I present stuff and then everybody talks it about, right. It's like this, uh, place where we get to all sort of see, see each other and be seen by each other mm. and share our stories and wrestle and ask questions. So, um, it's, it's such a joy and it always evolves. So when, so my next one is actually starts Wednesday, June 15th. So it'll be for four weeks and you can find all the info at radicalwellness.com uh, under groups. And, um, but I can really link it too. About- oh, perfect. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, and we have only a few spots left. We only have like half of it full. So there's still a few spots. Uh, but what's fun about it is that when people come in, they fill out like a form mm-hmm. about sort of their background or what they believe, what they're struggling with. And so I really try to tailor the content to support whatever journey these people are on, which is, um, a blast. Cause then I get to learn more and I get to hear their stories. So, um, so that's really cool. And it's been like, so fulfilling in a way, I think I just wandered around for a long time doing like, I'm the only person thinking about these things. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, the more I dive into it, the more I see other people and thinkers. Right. But then meet people like in the flash that are like, no, I'm thinking about this thing. I'm thinking about this mm-hmm. thing. So, um, it's really neat and it's all on zoom. So if anybody wants to join, I would love to have you. It's, it's a lot of fun.
0: Cool. Yeah. I will definitely link it in the show notes so people can look oh. it up and, uh, and see kind of, uh, for me, it's always like a time zone thing too. So
1: I know, you know, we had one person, um, I can't, cannot for the life of me right now, I'm going drawing a blank, but she was in the Middle East. So she would always get on and it was like pitch black. And she was like, (laughs) had her cup of coffee and it was like three in the morning. So by the time the class ended, the sun was rising and she had this like warm glow. It was like, it was really cool, but I know the time zone can be tough. (laughs) Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I love what you said there about like different expressions of feminine divinity that you go into and can you give some examples just so we get yeah. a sense?
1: Yes, totally. So, um, like uh, some of it, um, so for example, within the Christian religion, we talk a lot about, um, Sophia, ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that interchangeably Sophia was really the name for what we would call now Holy spirit. And it was this feminine presence. And anytime even Jesus talks about Sophia in the Bible uh, or spirit in the Bible, um, it's always uh, feminine uh, pronouns. And then also feminine um, um, like metaphors, right. Mm -hmm. Of like uh, giving birth or these different things. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of talk about that that is underlying a lot, a lot of our culture, but then what happened to it? right? Wait, why is, do we never say that again? So that, so that's one example. Um, and then we talk about, I talk about two, when we talk about the labyrinth, right? So there's a, a big uh, Greek myth about the labyrinth and like Ariadne and um, she ties this string around Theseus and he goes in and kills the Minotaur. Um, and that's kind of the Greek myth around it. But this idea of the labyrinth was also um, part of being a sort of this womb of the universe. And the idea is that the labyrinth would be on a, a statue of, of goddesses and it right in her belly. And that our journey in life where we go in and then we come back out in the same different way. And we have all these twists and turns is actually a lot, what it's like to um, like give birth to something and to be born again and to be Um, sort of one with the universe. And so, um, we talk a lot about that because we have this idea that lives and things are linear, right? Like you're born and you die. Mm -hmm. Um, but in, in feminine, uh, divinity examples is it's, it's cyclical and it's circular and it's beautiful in that way. And so that kind of also then directs us into, um, the difference between the hero's journey and the heroine's journey, which we talk about in the class as well, and how, we're, we are living in a cyclical nature, whether or not we recognize it, but if we come to awareness of it and this idea of oneness with nature and, um, the universe and mother earth, um, how that allows us to kind of just step deeper into our lives and allow things to happen for us instead of to us. Mm-hmm. And so it develops the sense in which we get to move through based on intuition and knowing instead of, well, I'm supposed to do this next, right? Um, I guess I have to get married or I have to do this thing. Or like you said earlier, I just sort of go to work and then I guess I can travel, right? It's, it's this invitation in of going, yeah, but what feels good Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when I think of that idea, do I light up or do I shrivel and to be, so a lot of people that take the class are at the very edge of it. And it's like giving tools to slow down. And I do meditations in the beginning of it, of each of each session, and it's giving tools to say, "Oh, I should pay attention when my body mm-hmm. reacts, or my voice reacts, and it's okay to pay attention and to develop a curiosity and a wonder around." Well, what happens if I don't do that thing that they all say I should do? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I and and then we talked to about um, different examples in different religions, and then even different people. So, um, uh one section is I talk about sort of mystical things from, um, Judaism and, um, Kabbalah and talk about sort of the origins of that. And then it's always been very feminine in nature and it has to do with the body. Um, the different chakra systems, we go into that. Um, we also talk about St. Teresa of Avila, who was just this amazing woman who got in trouble because she said like, I'm not following your rules. I don't need them. <laughs> and they, they, um, and she believed the soul was like this seven layer castle, right? And so she sort of thought of it like that. And so all these different expressions we see, and then obviously the labyrinth, but we see all these different expressions in which they all sort of point to the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So when we have this Kabbalah structure, that's like, these are the entrances to holiness. And then same with the chakras, same with the seven layer soul. And it's like on some level, this feminine aspect of divinity, um, has to do with this sort of unfolding, unpeeling journeying adventure, and a lot less to do with all these rules. And so to look at that and say, this has actually always been here, but notice that it's also always been buried, right? Mm -hmm. So it's there, but it's only allowed to exist on the edges and, um, taking a like a mirrored look into our own stories and then how we want to proceed ahead.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, you know, there's so many different angles to go at this and Mm -hmm. that, but we, like you were just sharing, we always end at the same point, right? When I like talk about it, I, I think one of the main things I would say is I didn't even know like what feminine energy really was. Yeah. Until I discovered that when I express myself in that way, like when I am more creative, when I do follow my intuition, it actually feels a lot better in my body. But it's not that yeah. I like didn't wanna experience it. I just didn't know.
1: Yes, I didn't even know I could, or I didn't know how to tap into it almost, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for and, sure. Yeah. And then and or recognize it. It's like now yeah. I can go, oh, that feels like arm wrestling. that it feels like floating down a river, right? It's like, now I can tell.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, I would love to know, as we are wrapping up, you mentioned in the beginning that the person you were 2019 Mm -hmm. is a completely different person than you are today. And looking back, what are some of the lessons that you've learned over the last three years? Oh, gosh, that's such a
1: good question. Um, I think um, I didn't, I, I was unaware of how powerful my own mind can be. Um, so whether that's writing something new, solving a problem. Um, but I think, I, I think for a long time, I bought into like, this is what you're born with and you stay there. And right, meditation has opened up for me. Like, oh, I don't have to. I can expand beyond it, and I can grow, and I can learn, and I can evolve. So that's a huge difference. Um, that that's one of them. Um, another one is the awareness of how much, whatever word you want to say here, God, universe, whatever, um, is constantly. Is sort of speaking to us and mm-hmm. talking to us. Um, one of the things that I, I had a coaching call or a coaching series when I was doing my Kickstarter to like keep my mental game strong. And we were in this coaching session and I, we didn't fund the thing until the very last bit. Like it was like three days before or something. And I mean, the, like the timer was done and like, we barely made the funding and you know, part of it is it was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious because <laughs> everybody's like, never put a book on Kickstarter. It's like the night before it's launching. And I'm like, well, whoops. And then it was like, <laughs> <if> it-, <laughs> it was like, if you do, you need to have like X amount of following. I'm like, what? Like my mom follows me on Instagram. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. I'm not like a presence. And then it was like, um, the other thing, it was like, if you do put a book, consider this to be how you measure how you measure what to do. And it was the story about Seth Godin. And he did, he said to his like publishers, I want to publish this book. And they're like, no, the book's been written. No one wants it. And he's like, if I can raise 40 grand on Kickstarter, will you let me publish the book? And they were like, yeah, because nobody's going to pay on Kickstarter for a book. So yeah, 40 grand's impossible. So whatever. So he did it. So they were like, that should be like your max. If you're like a famous author. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my Kickstarter goal is set to like (laughs) $70,000. So I was like, this sucks. Like I didn't, that's totally me though. I mean, that's the same person that's like, oh, I was in the Austin Chronicle nine months ago. I'm just not the details. Aren't my strong suit. So, um, I, was on this coaching call. And I'm like, well, I kept saying on the coaching call. Well, I mean, if it doesn't get published, I mean, if it doesn't get funded, I'll write it anyway. And he said, you've got to stop acting like it's not going to get funded because then now everything you do is assuming it won't get funded. And I was like, oh, it was the first time I'd heard of it. So we came up with this thing in which I pretended that I was in an escape room. Have you ever been to an escape room? I have not oh, okay. Anybody that's going through a creative challenge should go (laughs) because I developed this mindset of everything I need to complete this book is in me and around me or to complete this thing is in me and around me. And I just have to figure out what it is. So it became this thing to like solve a problem and a puzzle. Um, and it worked. So I, I have employed that on everything since then, like, okay, everything I need is in me and around me. And so I become aware of what I'm feeling. I become aware of, um, my meditations. I become aware of, oh, I keep seeing that same expression. Should I look into it? Right. So it's like, I now see that the universe is like conspiring to help me (laughs) Mm. and all of us. Um, But as long as I'm paying attention, I notice it. When I'm not paying attention, it's still happening, but I'm just not noticing it, right? Mm -hmm. So that has made my radar of possibility so much bigger because like, so if I see the the same thing occurring or say someone says to me, oh, you should look into this. And I think, ah, oh, whatever, if I just leave it, then I leave it. But usually when I follow the trail of it, I'm like, oh, and it unlocks something right in the book I'm writing or a parenting thing I'm facing. So in that regard, I have become, I have come to um, sort of be friends. And and in some instances, if I'm aligned, <laughs> a one with the universe and that is a huge change for me because I grew up in a church system that told me to be afraid of it mm-hmm. and afraid of the universe and afraid of God because it was going to punish. And so now there's this benevolence and this goodness, um, that I feel and operate with. So I think those are my two biggest sort of shifts in the past. I love it. Yeah. Oh,
0: beautiful. So beautiful. Okay. So beautiful. Well, thank you for doing this, Bonnie. I'm so excited, not just for everybody to hear this, also just for myself (laughs) to catch up with you. (laughs) I know, that was so
1: fun. Yeah,
0: just so inspiring to hear your story. I had goosebumps like 70 times throughout our conversation. (laughs) You're so Um, cute. And yeah, I so appreciate you. And I can't wait for people to hear this and look you up and join your course and all the good stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you
1: so much. Thank you. And I love what you're doing and I love what you're putting out in the world. So I'm so excited. We're friends. I feel so. And if I do come or move to Europe, You'll be my first person I call. <laughs> yes. And
0: also, um, I'm probably gonna be in Austin in August. And uh, no, in October. Okay. And let me rephrase this actually, because we just talked about the realm of possibility and how we look at things. Yes. I will
1: be in Austin
0: in October. So
1: perfect. <laughs> we will meet. Well, I always then. say to my kids, words create worlds. Yeah. And my my daughter, she can't say her Rs. So <laughs> she's six. And so my Son will be complaining like the chores are gonna take forever, and my daughter's always like, "Words, quit (laughs) words," and it's like the cutest thing in the world. So, words, great worlds. You will be in Austin in October, and we will see each other. What are you gonna do there? Can I ask? Um,
0: yes, you can ask. So, I did in 2020 a coaching, like a group coaching program, and part of the group coaching program, what's it was for women to kind of heal some stuff so that they can call in call in their partner. Cool. And part of the group coaching program is one retreat day in person. Oh, okay. And then like the course started, I think in May, 2020. Um, so that never happened. And now it's finally happening like two and a half years later. And I'm like, and I'm going to be there.
1: Austin. How did they pick Austin? Uh, they live there now. Oh, everyone's lived here now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh, awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad because you know what, if it had happened, then you wouldn't probably be in Austin and now you get to be, and you're going to love exactly. it. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I'm so excited. Awesome.
1: Okay, good. Yes. Please let me know. And then we can hang out. I would love yes, that.
0: We will. Awesome. Thank you,
1: Bonnie. Thank you so much. It was so good talking with you.
0: Thank you. For listening to this episode of Sophia on Earth, where we talk about what it means to be human. If you want to dive deeper, leading from your feminine essence in your relationships and in business, I would love to hear from you and support you on your journey. You can find all of my one-on-one coaching offers on my website at sophiaonearth.com or feel free to just reach out to me via Instagram at Sophia on Earth once again. Thank you so much for listening. Sending you so much love.